Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Um, we're about to go into our time of teaching. If you're, you're new here, first time, I uh, want to welcome you. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Church of Rocky Peak. And inside your program is a message note sheet we use every week for our time of teaching. And so you'll definitely want to pull that out and help you follow along. And uh, uh, just looking around. It's, yeah, people still coming in looking for seats. But um, okay, so if someone comes to your row and they need a seat, uh, help them find a seat, all right? So uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching now. Uh, if you guys are ready to go, I'm all set. You guys set? Yeah. All right, let's pray. God, we're just uh, thankful for what you're doing here at our church and, and the way you're waking us up, calling us on, and especially what you're doing in this series and kind of teaching us what does it look like to put you at the center of our lives and then to really ask that question, what, what does it look like to please you in each of these different areas we're talking about and, and to really put first things first. And so we pray that today as we, we continue on in this series and we talk about this important topic of rest, renewal, refreshment, that you would speak in just a powerful way, help us to recalibrate, reorganize our lives, simplify our lives so that we can truly put first things first. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today uh, our story starts on the island of uh, Oahu, so you know it's going to be good. Uh, that uh, he, He's a famous pastor. He's been uh, doing this for about, about 30 years. He, he leads a church that is uh, a fast-growing, rapid, kind of nationally known uh, church. Uh, started a Bible study uh, or a Bible school. Where they're, they're kind of cre- uh, developing uh, pastors for the future, planting churches. He's writing books. And so he, he's a high, high-driven sort of guy, high-capacity leader. And as the story starts, he's actually visiting here in Southern California. He's come to speak at a, a per- particular event. And so that afternoon, he says to go out for a run before he, before he goes to speak. And so he goes for a run, and, and all of a sudden, he doesn't know what happens, can't remember how this happens. All he remembers is that, that now he's sitting by the side of the road on, a, on, the, on the curb of a sidewalk, and he is sobbing uncontrollably. He, he doesn't know what happened, what hit him. This is not who he is. It's not how he's designed. This never happened happened before, and he's crying so hard he can hardly get a hold of himself. But eventually he finally calms down, pulls himself together, heads back to uh, where he was staying, gets ready, goes to speak that night, uh, gets on a plane, jumps back, and goes back to Hawaii, and just kind of hoping to get better. But in the, in the coming weeks, things get worse and worse, and his life is beginning to spiral down. He's having a hard time breathing. He's getting pains in his chest. He's having a hard time sleeping, and so he decides he better go to a doctor. So he goes to a cardiologist, and they have run all the tests that you would run in a situation. They all come back as normal. There's nothing that shows up, and so he goes on for a few more weeks, a couple more months, and his life is continuing to spiral more and more out of control. And so now he goes to the next step. He goes to a Christian psychologist, and and after looking at the test, the psychologist tells him, look, this is not your heart. It's not an issue. It's It's your pace of life. You're just running too hard. You're depleting key chemicals in your body, and your body is starting to shut down, and if you don't slow it down, you don't stop, it's gonna, you're, you're, gonna head, you're headed for deep trouble. But of course, he can't slow it down. He doesn't know how to slow it down. He's leading a, a church of thousands and thousands of people. They have the Bible, studies, uh, Bible school he's overseeing. They're planning church. He's writing the books. He's just, he can't really see a way, so he's like, I'm just going to power through this like I've always powered through everything in my life. And so now it's a couple months later. He's driving home from the office one night, and all of a sudden, this sharp, piercing pain hits him right in the chest and then his arm goes numb down his left side and he's in a panic and he pulls over by the side of the road and he pulls out his cell phone and he calls his doctor and the doctor 
Well, today we're uh, continuing <laughs> this series that we've been in now for the last, what, seven weeks, and it's called The, the Simple Life, Putting First Things First. And for those of you who are brand new, uh, not only welcome, but we also uh, just want to kind of bring up speed. This is a series about priorities. And so uh, uh, we, we live in, the, in a day, an age, a culture that is moving faster and faster with each passing year, kind of speed of light type of speed, uh, 24-7. And so in the midst of that, it's often easy to lose sight of the things in life that are truly most important. That, that's a great danger. And so in this series, we're asking some basic questions like as followers of Jesus, what does it look like to, uh, what, what does it really look like to kind of uh, uh, put, put the first things first? What are our top priorities in life? Uh, how are we doing in those areas? And if we're not doing as well as we'd like, what does it look like to simplify our life so we can really put first things first? And so uh, one of the, the lessons that we learned early on is that as followers of Jesus, we all have one top priority in our life, and, and that's to, to, to pursue God, right? We, we want to know him, we want to love him, and we want to please him in every area of our life. And so the, the key question of a Christ follower who wants to put God first is that in every area of our life, God, how do I please you in this area? And so we've talked about this, we've used this diagram, and we, so we want to put God at the center of our life, and then, and then it's not so much priorities like, well, God's first, and then family second, and career was third, but they, that doesn't really work out so well, but it's really like saying, God, I want to make you this center, and so in my finances, in my personal ministry, in my career, in my family, what does it look like to put you first during this season of my life? So topic on the table today is rest and renewal. What does it look like to put God first in the area of, of rest and renewal? Now, this is a tough topic because, like I said, we're moving in a culture that is moving at the speed of light. And so, as a culture, we have lost the ability to rest well. We, we're not really good at rest. We're not really good at renewal. We're not really good at refreshment. We're good at running, uh, running hard all the time. And so, what you, the, the danger of this, though, and this is what we're going to talk about today, just going to lay this out, is that the danger is that if we don't learn to rest and renew, then in the long run, we won't be able to pursue God well. In the long run, we won't be able to love others well. In the long run, we won't be able to serve sacrificially or share Christ. In the long run, we can't put first things first. That there has to be an ebb and flow, a rhythm of our life that kind of flows out to work, which is a good thing, and then ebbs back to, to rest and refreshment and renewal. And unless we learn this dance, this rhythm between rest and work, we will never live life well. And so uh, today we want to do a couple things. First, I want to start with what the Bible talks about this priority of rest and just kind of take a, a, a big picture, 40,000-foot picture, uh, kind of level look at what the Bible says about rest and renewal. And then we're going to come back and do some practical uh, evaluation, three simple questions to evaluate how we're doing in our lives. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called the priority of rest, the rhythms of life. And this is what we're going to see. What we're going to see as we open the Bible is that as Christ followers, God has designed creation and calendar to, to reflect this rhythm, this ebb and flow, like the ocean flows into the shore and then ebbs back to the sea, that in our lives there is to be a rhythm between work 
and rest. We flow out to work, we flow back to rest. And that's kind of the way God's designed life. He's designed it in creation, in calendar. And so there on your note sheet, you'll see three separate bullets. And I want to just kind of walk you through quickly what the Bible says about this rhythm. And so the first one there is the the rhythm of night and day. And for this one, what I want you to do is if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have your Bible, uh, that's fine. Maybe you'll just look on with someone who does. But uh, Genesis chapter 1, and we'll pick it up at verse 3. And if you've never read Genesis before, Genesis starts with the uh, uh, account of creation. There's a seven-day creation that takes place. From the earliest times in Christian history, there's always been Christ followers who believe these are seven literal days of 24 hours, and there's good reason for that. There have always been those who believe, no, these are longer seven periods of creation, seven ages of creation, whatever. But whether you take it as uh, kind of more literal or more kind of longer age, the, the Hebrew word for day, yom, can kind of go either way, support either argument. But w- w- whichever way you take it or understand that, what you're going to see is that in this passage, there's a tremendous sense of rhythm and ebb and flow that God creates from the very beginning. And so, for example, in chapter 1 and verse 3, we, we've got the first day of creation, and, and God says, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So catch this, that the, the very first thing does, God does is he structures creation, at least on planet Earth, he structures our creation into 24-hour time periods, and he breaks that up into to night and day. So that there's a natural time to work, there's a natural time to rest. And some of you have known this. Like if you've ever worked a, a night shift, you know how difficult this is. Uh, I remember when I was in college, just kind of working my way through college, when I was a freshman, that I, I took a job with a company that on Friday and Saturday nights, I would wash windows with them. And so we would go out at 11 o'clock at night, and we would go out to restaurants and gyms, and, different, and we would wash windows from 11 at night to 5 in the morning. And I absolutely hated it. You know, the rest of the world is sleeping or partying, and I'm washing windows. And if you've ever worked at nights, you know the unnaturalness of this, right? And studies have shown this, and you have to work night times, your biorhythms are off. You tend to get sick more often. You tend to live shorter lives. Sorry if you're working along, you know, at night, but uh, like you're all depressed, like, glad I came to church today. Man, I'm just ready to kill myself. Uh, so, uh, but, but. But the point is, is that from the very beginning of time, God has woven this into creation, that there is an ebb and flow from, from night to day and from day to night. There's a time to work. There's a time to rest. It's built into the creation itself. And so you see there in verse 5, it says at the end, there was an evening and there was a morning the first day. And so that phrase, there was an evening and there was a morning, that's going to re- be repeated six times in this opening chapter. And after every creation day, it's going to be repeated, this rhythm, this ebb and flow from evening to morning, evening to morning. And so, for example, in verse 8, you have the second day, and God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And then verse 13, and there was an evening, and there was a morning the third day. And then verse 19, there was an evening, and there was a morning the fourth day. Are you catching the rhythm of this? What I want you to catch is the author is helping us to understand the rhythms of life that, that God has designed into the very fabric of creation. There's an ebb and flow, and this is representative of our lives, that we are created to work hard, and then we're to rest well. 
Okay? We're going to work hard. We're going to rest well. And it's, it's kind of how creation is designed. Now, one thing I want to point out to you is I want to point out to you how this phrase is, is put. Uh, we've seen it four times. Let's look at the fifth time in verse 23. This is the fifth day. And there, it says, and there was an evening and there was a morning the fifth day. And this is how it says every time. There's an evening and there's a morning. Now, that is not the way you and I would have written this. How would we have said it? There's a morning and there's an evening, right? Because we think in terms of the day starting and the morning where we go out to work and then we come, it ends at night, we come back to rest. I want you to catch, in Hebrew culture, this is not how they think of it. They think of it as, no, the day starts in the evening, right? This is why if you're from a Jewish background or you have Jewish friends or you know anything about Judaism, that you know that on the Sabbath, the Sabbath starts when? Friday night at sunset, right? We, we often think of the Sabbath being Saturday. It doesn't start on Saturday. It starts Friday night at sunset. Why? Because in the Jewish mindset, in the Hebrew mindset, the day starts in the evening. And I think there's, there may be something very significant about this because what it suggests is that, that life flows from rest into work, not from work into rest. Does that make sense? That we start our days in a place of rest, of resting deeply, of waking up fully refreshed and energized, having all of our batteries recharged. And now out of that refreshment, we go out to work. And so there's this rhythm of life worked into the very nature of creation in day-by-day life. Now, the second area we see it is in the area of our work week and our work weekend. And you see this in 131, chapter 1 and verse 31. So God saw, uh, saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And this, there was an evening, and there was a morning, the sixth day. And so we already see that rhythm again. And so the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. And by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he'd been doing on the seventh day. And so he what? He, let's say it again. He what? He rested. Now, this does not mean that God was tired, Right? Like, wow, that was a tough week. You know, I just never saw that coming. This creating cosmos thing, it took a lot out of me. You know, next time, man, I do it two weeks. Uh, it's, not like that, it's not saying he was tired. What it's saying is that he was finished, right? He had finished the job, and so he is resting. And so now look what it says. And so God blessed, verse 3, God blessed the seventh day, Uh, He set it apart. It becomes a special day. Why? It's a day of rest. It's a day of reflection. It's a day of looking back on what you've accomplished. It's a day of celebration. It's a day of renewal. And so he says, and and God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, which just means uh, that he set it apart as different from all the rest, uh, because on it he rested from all the work of creating. And so what we see then is as the Bible unfolds is that we, we find that God was modeling this for the human race. That the reason he rested, he was modeling this for this because when you go on later in the story, when God rescues the nation of Israel out of bondage in Egypt, and remember, they're there, they're working seven days a week, right? No, no days off. You are slaves. You're making bricks seven days a week 
uh, hard labor, never a day off, when he rescues them and he takes them out to Mount Sinai and God appears to him there, he enters into covenant, into formal relationship. I will be your God, you will be my people. And he lays out the rules of relationship. We call them the 10 commandments, you know, because God's top 10 rules of relationship. And one of those rules is a rule about rest. It's, it's a rule about Sabbath. And so you see it there on your note sheet, and uh, in Exodus 20, it says, remember the Sabbath day. Now, Sabbath uh, comes from the Hebrew word uh, Shavat or Shabbat, depends on which part of wherever you come from. But uh, it's Shavat or Shabbat, it's a verb that means to rest, it means to cease, okay? And so remember the Sabbath day, the, the day of rest, by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Work's a good thing, we talked about that earlier in the series. But the seventh day is a Sabbath, it's a, it's a rest, to the Lord your God, and so on it you shall not do any work. So for in six days, the Lord made the heavens and earth. Catch what he's doing. He goes back to the creation account that we just read, and he says, in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day, and therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. And so what he's saying here is that you're my people now right? You, you don't belong to Pharaoh anymore. You're my people. And as my people, I've designed you from the very beginning of time to work hard during the week and then to rest. That's the way creation was designed. That's why I modeled that. And so under my leadership, I want you to have a holiday every week. I want you, and we forget how revolutionary this was because we're used to weekends, but this was a revolutionary thought that every day you'd have a day of rest. You'd have a holiday. You have a day set aside. You don't work. God would take care of you. Trust him for that. But, but don't work. Rest, refresh, renew, uh, worship, uh, recharge your batteries. And so from the very beginning of time, God has woven this into the calendar of the human race. And so uh, in the New Testament, of course, as Christ followers, we find that we're not under the Old Testament law, and so for us, it's not a particular day of the week. It's not Friday, you know, from sundown to Saturday sundown, uh, but, but what we find is Jesus says, but never forget that you're not under that law, but the Sabbath is a gift. And so, for example, in Mark chapter 2, he's talking to the religious leaders who had taken this beautiful gift, like a day off every week, and turned it into a legalistic affair that kind of ruined the fun of it. And, and he says, don't forget, he says, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. It's Mark 2. In other words, it was a gift and so we see again that God kind of works this, this rhythm of day and night rest, a daily rest. Now he works into a weekly rest. But catch this, it was even more than that. In the calendar of Israel, God worked in a seasonal rest, kind of scheduled vacations into their annual calendar. And I want you to see this. There in your note sheet, there's a section. It's called Retreats and Road Trips, right? So a lot of you won't know this. This will probably be new information to probably most of us here. But in the Old Testament, when God formed the nation of Israel, he required of them that three times a year, all the men in the nation, so think of this, all the men here, if we were in ancient Israel, now women, you were welcome to come. Uh, it was an option to come. You just weren't required to come, okay? But all the men were required to come to Jerusalem three times a year for a time of spiritual retreat. 
And, and these three times a year were, were times of retreat, but also refreshment, and re- they were like scheduled vacations. They all, they all came at times when the harvest was over. So in the, in the spring, you have the barley harvest. Later in the spring, like May or June, you have the, the uh, wheat harvest. And then in, late, in, in September, October, you have the end of the summer harvest, all the crops and the fruit and stuff like that. And so they, they were structured around like, hey, you finished the harvest. It's a time for vacation. You've been working hard. And so there was these three annual feasts. So let me describe them real quickly. First feast was the feast of Passover, right? And that happened in the spring about what we would call Easter time. Second feast was the Feast of Weeks. Uh, by the way, Passover was an eight-day festival of Passover, unloved bread, eight-day feast. Uh, second feast was in May or June. It was called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. It was a one-day feast. And then in September, October, you would have another seven-day feast, sometimes stretched to eight, called the Feast of Tabernacles. And so every time you you would make this pilgrimage, a spiritual trip, it's like a road trip to Jerusalem, right? Now, now catch this. It's, if you're living in the north of Israel, like where Jesus would one day come from, it might take as long as seven days to get to Jerusalem, right? Now you're there, you're there for seven or eight days for this feast, right? Now you're going to go back to uh, where you came from, seven days. So how many weeks of vacation is that? Three weeks, right? So catch this, God schedules in (coughs) a (coughs) three-week vacation two or three times a year. And so, so picture this, when you're going on this road trip, <coughs> when you're going on this road trip, you're, you're traveling like you're walking, right? So, so it's time for reflection, it's time for talking, it's time for laughing, it's time for catching up with family and friends. It's, it's a journey. And, and so every night you're stopping, you're doing the campfire, you're telling the stories around the camp, it's camping out. Right? For those of you who've gone camping, you, you know what quality time camping is uh, in terms of at least the emotional experience. Um, and so uh, uh, the, the connection that happens there. And so every night you're stopping, you're sharing meals, you're working together, you're not working out in the fields. It's a time of vacation. And so, so you, then you get down to Jerusalem and you have these feasts that are like usually a week long and now there's, there's some worship things you do and some celebrations there and kind of a spiritual retreat time. But it's like one of our spiritual, there's a lot of, there's a lot of free time during that, that, that week and so you're hanging out with friends and you're renewed. Are, are you following this? And so, so what I want you to catch is three times a year, you, in, in the spring you've got a three-week vacation, in May or June, th- a two-week vacation, and then in the fall, a three-week vacation. That's like eight vacations a year. That's as good as like a government job, right? That's like, like that is awesome. Who knew that our government was following God's law of the land, right? And so, uh, so are, are you with me? This is huge. This is huge, and we don't even think about this, but, but if, you, if you live in Israel, you're going to sleep well at night. Once a week, you're going to take a, a day off, and, and three times a year, at least, you're going to have a major vacation and road trip, you see? And here's what I want you to see. When God was in charge of the calendar, this is the way he designed it to be. Why? Because he understands that we are created as with limited, abil- limited emotional and physical stamina, and if we're going to live life well, that we have to find this rhythm, this ebb and flow between working hard 
and then resting well. And it's so important because if we don't catch this, what happens is that we begin to break down. We begin to stress out. We begin, relationships begin to become unraveled. Our marriages begin to suffer. Our kids begin to, to suffer. We don't have the power or the capacity to pursue God or to love people well and deeply or to serve sacrificially or to share Christ or put first things first because we are so distracted and strung out and exhausted, life becomes just running one day after another, one thing to the next until the joy goes out of life. And so what happens, uh, Wayne Cordero in his book, uh, Leading on Empty, he puts it like this there on your note sheet. He says, uh, God knew that creation needed new beginnings. And if he didn't, he would have given us a lifetime in one fell swoop. But instead, knowing our needs, he broke our life into bite-sized chunks that we call years. And so every 365 days or so, everything begins anew. And with that, we've given us four seasons or quarters as opportunities to start all over. Again, I realize in Southern California, we just have one season, but, but most of the world. And even within that, he factored in what we call months, repetitions of the lunar cycle. And then if that wasn't enough, he broke each month into days or, or 24-hour segments of time and those into minutes, unlimited opportunities to start over and begin afresh. And so here's what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting if we're going to put God first, if we're going to live life well, if we're going to live a simple life, a life that's lived not by default but by design, if we're going to live life on purpose, if we're going to pursue God, love people, serve sacrifice, share Christ well, put first things first, what I'm suggesting is that we have to learn how to weave and to work with the way God has designed life to be. There has to learn how to move in this rhythm of working hard and resting well. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so uh, now we're gonna jump in. We're gonna get real practical. We're gonna see how we're doing. So there on your note sheet, you have a section called The Simple Life, Rest and Renewal. I wanna ask you three very simple questions. The first one is so simple, you may be irritated. Um, in fact, you, you'll be tempted, I promise. You're gonna be tempted to blow this one off, skip, let's go to two, what else you got? Um, but I, I, I don't want you to miss this one. This is really important for many of us to be the most important one of the day. And the question goes like this, are you getting your sleep? <laughs> well, I guess we answer that. Uh, yeah. Now, my hunch would be that a majority of us here, the answer would be no. And the reason is, is that study after study has shown this, is that as a nation, we are severely sleep deprived. Right? It's, it's, it's affecting our families, it's affecting our health, it's affecting our marriages, it's affecting accident rates. Uh, and and so, so are you getting your sleep? And uh, I, I think that uh, it, the reality is in our country, in our culture, we do not value sleep. What we value is work, okay? So we have value achievement. So, so like if you get a group of guys together and, and you're talking about sleep uh, and someone throws out there, yeah, I don't need much sleep. Uh, I, I, I get by in six hours a night. Uh, chances are there's gonna be someone else in the group that says, I can beat that, right? 
Because what we value is, is we value high production. And so we, we value people that can get by on very little sleep. We admire people like that. We want to be like that. Now, I know this because throughout my life, there have been many periods of my life, I have tried to train myself literally to get by on less sleep. And, and if I, we had more time, I would tell you all my plans that failed. Um, but but I, I've been very intentional. I feel like I could train my body this way. And so, and so I, I, I deeply understand this, but I think that we've missed out that sleep is one of God's gifts to us. You know, I remember taking my, my doctoral program, I had a course with uh, Dallas Willard, and he, he talked about this one day. He talked about how sleep is a spiritual discipline. And I'm thinking, spiritual discipline. Well, let me think about that, right? I mean, you stop and think about it. It really is. Because a spiritual discipline is anything that you do on a regular basis that helps you pursue God more and, love, and live the life he's called you. That's what a spiritual discipline is. It's something that releases power in your life. And he was absolutely right. And so, uh, uh, and so in Psalm 127, there on your note sheet, look what, what the, uh, the Bible says. It says, sleep is one of God's gifts to us. So uh, Psalm 127 in vain you rise up early and you stay up late, toiling for food to eat. I was basically saying, hey, it's vain for you to be a workaholic, for he grants sleep to those he loves. And he says, it's, it's not the way God designed life, that you have to be up really early and working all day and really late at night just so that you can eat or just so you can survive. It's not how he's designed life because he loves you and one of his greatest gifts is a gift of sleep, okay? So, so if we don't learn this lesson, uh, we end up paying the price. Now, I know in my own life that this has sort of been a journey and a pilgrimage to come to this place uh, of appreciating the value of sleep. And one of the things that really helped along the way is in my doctoral program, I had the privilege of a course with Dr. Archibald Hart, who's one of the kind of top Christian psychologists of our type. And he's written you know, over 30 books, 40 books, whatever. He's an amazing guy. I think he's about 80 years old now, something like that is my, is my hunch. But uh, of course, like seven, eight years ago, whatever. But I remember in there, one of the topics we, was sleep. And, and he's a leading authority on this. He's kind of a, a leading researcher authority on sleep. And so he began to explain to us from a physiological standpoint what happens during sleep and how God's designed us. And, and so um, I wish we had time to go into that because it's fascinating what the lack of sleep, uh, getting by, unless, what it does to you emotionally, what it does to you physically, what it does to you relationally, what it does to you spiritually, so, you know, creativity, creativity uh, productivity. So I wish we had more time, but I just want to give you one example, okay, just to kind of give you a feel for this. That did you know that we tend to sleep in 90-minute cycles? When you go to sleep at night, that you're going to go through a series of 90-minute cycles. And in those 90-minute cycles, you're going to pass through five different stages of sleep, each one deeper than the one before. And as you go through the deeper levels of sleep, your body progressively begins to heal itself. Your, your muscles begin to rejuvenate. Uh, your brain is restored. Proteins are built up. Key hormones for your health are being released. Anti-immune system is getting recharged. And here's the thing. With, with, with each uh, progressive stage, more of that's happening until you get to the fifth stage. The fifth stage of sleep, you've probably heard about this. It's called uh, REM level sleep, uh, REM, rapid eye, eye movement sleep. And on the fifth level of sleep, 
this is where your brain really heals. And so when you get to that fifth level, this is where your, your brain, it kind of processes all you've taken in throughout the day. And it's at this fifth level that your brain separates and moves things out from short-term memory to long-term memory. It's like a hard drive. We're, we're moving it out from this partition to this partition. And it's during this stage that your brain defrags. Okay? So just like a computer cleans itself up and gets rid of stuff it doesn't need, that at night, during this fifth level is where your brain defrags. I don't need this, I need this. And, and it's during this level then of, of great creativity. So for example, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but you're working on a problem late at night, you're struggling, you can't get it, uh, you can't figure it out, and, and then uh, uh, you just go to sleep, right? You can't, you can't master it, and you wake up in the morning while you're in the shower, you're waking up, all of a sudden the answer comes to you, just like an aha moment, you've had that happen. And what's going on there often is that your brain, while you are sleeping, it's in that fifth level of creativity, your brain is working on that, 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 that whole issue. I, I know for me, I have to be very careful of this because sometimes if I'm reading commentaries late at night, kind of preparing for a new message, that if I'm reading it too much, my mind is going all night. And in my dreams, I'm solving issues, you know? And it's like, this is not working, you know? So, uh, but, but in a good sense, that often at a subconscious level, your brain is working on that, and so it's during that time that your, the creativity and productivity of your brain is working. Now catch this, here's where, the, here's where it comes into play. When you go through these 90 minute cycles, you don't spend the same amount in each stage, okay? Like during your first 90 minute cycle, you might only get three or four or five minutes of stage five sleep in that first 90 minutes. But with each progressive uh, uh, successive layer of, of, uh, of cycle that you spend more time in level five. And do you know by that if you will spend five or six cycles, that by you get to the, the last cycle, that last 90 minute cycle, you'll spend as much as 60 minutes in that fifth level of sleep that is deeply healing, uh, creating the hormones, refreshing your brain, the productivity. What this means is that if you only sleep like say three or four cycles a night, like four and a half hours, six hours, what's happening, you may think you're functioning well, but your brain and body is not getting restored. And so what happens is that uh, when Dr. Hart began this research and kind of all this, you know, many, many years ago, he, he had to reorient his whole life. He was so convinced of the research. It was so solid that he reoriented his life because up to this point in his life, he had only gotten six hours of sleep a night and he prided himself on this. He had an older brother and a father who uh, lived on four and a half hours of sleep a night. So he felt like the sluggard of the family, okay? And, but you know what? Both his father and his brother died very young. If I remember it, they died of heart attacks in their 50s. And so when he learned this, what was going on, he made a radical shift in his life. And, 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 he, and he started working sleep into his life. And it was about 15 years later that he was having some heart blockage. He needed to go in and, and do a stent or something like that. And now he was, you know, in his 70s, I think it was. And his doctor afterwards said, is there something that you did differently in your life about 15 years ago? Because when I was looking at your heart, I could, the, the signs are there that about 15 years ago, you did something significant that if you had not done that, you'd be dead a long time ago. Just what was it that changed? And he said, it was my sleep. 
He had to think about it, go back and say, that's when it was uh, he started to sleep. And so based on that research, and and, and then his life, he said, took off to a whole new level of productivity uh, and creativity, and he began to get more done in less hours because he was recharged and his mind was firing on all cylinders. And so, you know, he's gone on to write, what, 30, 40 books or something like that, just an amazing guy. But so, so here's what he recommends, and don't laugh, all right? Don't laugh because the last, the last service laughed. Um, but what he recommends is that to be healthy, uh, to live life well, you need to live, have at least five 90-minute cycles a night or six would be preferable, which transfers into seven and a half to nine hours of sleep a night. Okay, you can laugh now. I'm gonna tie my shoe. Okay, done laughing. All right, um, and so if you're anything like me, the, your first response when you hear something like that is, that is impossible, right? So, so for me, you're like, what do you want? Well, I sleep 15 hours a day. And I know, but you know, when, you get, uh, when you get a job, it'll be different. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway so, um, so, so that's kind of my reaction, right? But, but here's one thing that's really encouraging to me. That in the sleep research, what they, what they will tell you is that, that our sleep is like a bank, that, that our lives are like a sleep account. And you, you, like every night you put sleep, you're, putting, you're putting sleep hours in your bank. And that it's possible in the course of a week, not longer than a week, but in, within a week, you can kind of rob hours and kind of deplete that sleep bank as long as you fill it up later. And, and so there may be a couple nights in the week, well, I just can't get that kind of sleep. I have to operate on less sleep. That's fine. Just make it up later in the week. Uh, sleep in on the weekend. Sleep in a particular day. Get a nap. Get a long, uh, good nap. Uh, just fill that thing up. Because, because if we don't, then we will not be able to, to really focus in, live life well, kind of foot hitting on all cylinders. So that, that's the first question that I have for you is are you getting your sleep? Now, uh, if you want to learn more about this, which I would really recommend, um, Dr. Hart wrote a, a book, um, and it's called, uh, it's, it's all about sleep. It's there on your note sheet, and, and it's kind of, he wrote it more recently than I, I had him in that course. It kind of summarizes the research. It also talks about the impact a lack of sleep is having on our families and marriages. It's, it's a great book. I highly recommend it. Uh, the only trouble is, since you come to 11 o'clock service, we're all sold out in the bookstore. Uh, but uh, we will get some more, hopefully have them for next week. But uh, first two services burn through those. All right. Now, um, uh, number, number, uh, number two. The, the second question is what fills your tank and what drains it? What fills your tank and what drains it? Now let me explain what I mean. We started the day with the story of this kind of a high drive pastor in, in Hawaii. We, we left him there uh, about ready to have a heart attack, it felt like. He's pulling off the side of his room, pain in his chest, numb, numb arm, panicking, calling his, his doctor. Well, it turns out he wasn't having a heart attack. It turns out he was having an anxiety attack, right? So, so he never had one of those. He didn't know what that was. And so when he went to see the doctor, the doctor begins to explain how this works from a physiological standpoint. And he talks about the power of rest, the importance of sleep, the importance of time away, vacations, and so on. And he says, when you run long enough and hard enough at red line, and you're, like, you're just kind of running as hard as you can, operating on the least amount of sleep, and, and so on. When that happens, it begins to run your body down. And particularly, there's a particular hormone that's extremely important for human health called serotonin. And that when your serotonin levels go down to a certain point, 
that, that it will lead to depression. And, and if it gets down low enough, your body needs something to energize it. And so if it, there's not enough serotonin, your body starts uh, using uh, adrenaline as a substitute. Now, adrenaline is, we're not designed to run on adrenaline. Adrenaline is short bursts, fight or flight, right? But when you start running on adrenaline, it, it's a bad chemical to be running through your body all the time. It begins to destroy your body. And, and then when your adrenal gland gets oversubscribed, uh, you know, after a while, it cannot produce enough adrenaline to make up for the serotonin. What happens, it leads to a crash, it leads to a physical and emotional crash. As your body is shutting down, I can't take any more. And so that's what was happening to him. This incredibly strong, powerful, gifted leader had been running at this pace for so many years that his body was now shutting down on him. And so when he goes to the doctor, the doctor explains this and he says, well, how can I get that more serotonin? Can you give me a pill, right? That's how, that's how we think. And he says, no, there is no pill. He says, well, how do I recharge? He says, there's only one way to recharge. You have to rest, and you have to rest long, and you have to rest deep. And he says, well, how long? You need to take a six-month sabbatical. And he said, if you don't, you may never recapture your capacity you originally had. And he says, I can't do six months. You know, I've got this church to lead. I've got a Bible school I'm overseeing. I've got books to write. I've got uh, churches we're planning. I can't do that. And so he, he, they eventually come. He's going to come. He's going to do a two-month absolutely do-nothing sabbatical. And then he's going to make radical changes in his life to reschedule his life, to, to schedule rest and renewal into his life. And even doing that, even doing that, guess what? It took him three years to recover Three years of depression, three years of struggle, three years of imbalance in his life. Why? Because he had exhausted his body of its key chemicals, and it just takes time to restore and renew. And in, in that process, he learned, and this is what his doctor told me. He said, well, Wayne, you need to look at it like this. Your, your life, that every one of us is like a reservoir. And so I want you to picture this. I was going to try to draw this, but it would look out like a can of corn or something. Uh, so, so pictures that, picture my life is a reservoir, okay? I'm a little teapot, no, that kind of thing. Uh, my life is a reservoir, and this represents my emotional energy, right? And every one of us has a reservoir. And a picture at the top, there's a pipe that comes in that fills your tank, okay? These are, these are experiences that you have in your life that fill you up, that when you do them, you feel stronger, you feel refreshed, you feel renewed. So, so sleep is going to do that, right? There's certain activities, certain friendships are going to fill you up. Now you fill your At the bottom side of the teapot, you've got the little spout. And down here, there are things, there's a spigot that when you do certain activities, it drains you. It leaves you fatigued. It leaves you exhausted. It leaves you emotionally uh, drained, right? And so we all have this list. And he said, Wayne, during these next two months, in order to refresh, you need to do everything you can to focus on things that fill your tank. And you need to remove from your life as much as possible everything that drains your tank. And so this is going to vary from person to person, right? Like for Wayne, uh, he had to make a list. What are the things that fill my tank? Uh, riding a motorcycle fills his tank. Reading fills his tank. Spending time with God fills his tank. Going out to dinner with his wife fills his tank. Um, uh, playing sports fills his tank. 
playing golf. Notice I separated golf from sports. But golf fills his tank. Um, there you go. There's a fan club, three of them. Uh, never get it. Uh, anyway, uh, so, 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 you know, there's certain things that would fill his tank. He said, now you need to make another list. What are the things that drain you? And this is going to vary, right? Because like some of you in this room are extroverts. And so what fills your tank is lots of activity and lots of people and lots of things. So you go to a party, you come home, and you're like, woo, I'm so good. I can't go to sleep. I'm so charged up. That was awesome, right? And then you're married to someone who's an introvert. And you come home from the party, and he's like walking in like this. What happened? Just sucked the life out of me. Just person after person. They just came up like, suck your energy, suck your energy, suck your energy. I just saw my mom all down. And so he's, he's going to have to go home and he's just going to have to watch TV for hours to veg out or, or read a book or go be with God or sleep or something, right? So we're all wired differently. And so you've got to figure out like what fills your cup and, and what drains your, you know what drained his cup? He made his list. He said, here's some of the things that drains it. Counseling, Right? That he's not, you know, he's a great leader, kind of pastor leader, but, but he's like too much counseling drained his cup. Uh, uh, something else that drained his cup. Uh, paperwork that was unnecessary drained his cup. He said managing as opposed to leading drained his cup. Uh, staff who didn't like change drained his tank. Uh, uh, staff who would not follow through on assignments drained his dang. That kind of staff, just, oh, you sucked the life out of me. Uh, uh, his family, when there was problems, unresolved conflict in his family, and just drained his tank. So, so picture this, we're all at a reservoir, right? And so we're, we're at this reservoir, we, we're, and we, so we, we have a level of energy. And every day, there's things coming in that are filling, and every day there's things that are taking on. And so what he learned is that you have to monitor your energy. And, and if you don't monitor your energy, as it begins going down, you begin to get stressed, and you begin tired, and you lose your perspective on life. And now you're just, you're just running the rat race, and the joy goes out. If you keep going on further along, you end up having emotional breakdown, which is what he had, okay? And it's gonna take major, and if you keep going down further, you're gonna have a nervous breakdown. You see? And so the lesson is, is that we have to learn to monitor our emotional energy. And so here's the question for you. What fills your tank? What drains your tank? Here would be a great assignment for you that this week you would get some time alone and you would pull out a piece of paper and you would write down what fills my tank, what are the things that charge me up, and what are the things that drain me? And become very aware of that so you can begin to manage your weeks and manage your, your energy. Uh, let me say this too, that if you're married, this is very important to know what fills and what drains your spouse's tank. Very important. Because many of the things that fill your tank are going to be things that drain theirs and vice versa. And so you have to learn to give each other space to fill up. Okay, this is something that fills his tank or, or fills her tank. And I don't get it why that would or whatever, but, but it does. And, and so I need to create space. Does that make sense? So we, we have to monitor, help each other monitor. Now, number three. By the way, by the way, Wayne wrote a, a great book a couple years ago uh, on this experience and what he learned, the physiology of our bodies, uh, serotonins, 
uh, the, the importance of, of sleeping well, uh, getting Sabbaths in our life, taking vacations, breaks. This whole topic is called Leading on Empty. And we do have some of these still at our, our bookstore. We got 80 of them. I think we're getting down. If we run out, we'll, we'll get more. But uh, there are some of those that are, are there and highly recommend that. Now, number three, the third question that uh, I would ask would be, are you scheduling rest into your calendar? Now, throughout this series, the, the very first week, I laid out what I call the seven, seven principles of the simple life, and I told you we'll come back to them time and time again. This is one we've often talked about, and, and it goes like this. If you want to put the first things first, you have to put the first things first in two places, in your calendar and in your checkbook, right? So the, the principle is if you want, you, you can't just wait back and say, I'm going to wait till I have enough time to put rest and renewal in your life. Like you have to schedule it in. This is why God scheduled it in the nation of Israel, right? He scheduled it into the creation day and night. In a, in a day and age when there was no electricity, which is most of world history, it, you're kind of scheduled in, right? It, it wasn't a problem not getting your sleep. There was nothing else to do, right? So it's like there's no, no TV. You can get sleep. Uh, so, uh, and then he's got scheduled it in. Every week, I want you to take a day off. Don't want you to work. I want you to rest, refresh, renew. It's Sabbath. It was an important part of their culture. And then three times a year, we're going to have these longer vacations. You know, and it's not, not an option. We're not talking about this. It's what you need to do. So God scheduled it in. And, and so in your life, if, if you're going to, uh, to kind of make rest a priority, like every other priority in the series, you're going to have to schedule it. So let me ask some specific questions. Uh, how much sleep are you getting? Are you, can you scheduling that? When, when Dr. Hart realized this, when, when Wayne Cordero realized they had to change their daily schedules in order, so, so Wayne still gets up at five in the morning, he just goes to bed at nine o'clock at night. He just changed his schedule so that he gets that sleep. Uh, Sabbath. Do you have your equivalent of a Sabbath? Uh, I know in my life, uh, this is extremely important. That there are times and seasons in my life where I feel like God calls me to, to kind of not do a Sabbath. There, I, I'll be the first to admit that. There are seasons where there's times where I feel like there's an assignment. I'm like, this is what I want you to do on your day off. This is what I need you to do. And it's like, okay, I'm trusting you with my health then because this doesn't seem real wise. And so I, I will go through seasons like that where I feel very specific assignment. But over the last 15 years, I would say this, that, that by and large, the vast majority of that time, I have had a Sabbath. It's, my, it's on Fridays. So six days a week I'm working, but Friday is my Sabbath, and I'm very protective of that day. And really try to do things that day that, that fill my tank, don't drain my tank. And so very intentional about that. So every once in a while something comes up that's unavoidable, has to happen on a Friday, great, I can do that. But by and large, I'm going to protect those Fridays because I know I, I'm in a high stress, high pace, high capacity uh, job. And that if I don't protect myself, I will not do well in the long run. I, I will end up exactly what, you know, the, like Wayne's story uh, is a common story. It is a common story of large church pastors, extremely common, and so you're going to have to be intentional. And so for me, it's my Friday, and I believe it's, it's really saved me. So I can run hard the rest of the time, but that day. So do you have your equivalent of a Sabbath? When are you shutting it down? When are you slowing it down to refresh? Uh, a third question would be, uh, are you taking longer vacations, like weekends away or longer vacations like Israel did? 
Now I realize we're all in a different spot here, financial spot, work spot. Some of you have a ton of vacation at work. You have so much you don't need to know, know what to do with it all. Uh, uh, others of you, uh, you're self-employed. When you don't when you take a vacation, you don't get paid. And I, I, that's a really big difference. Uh, some of us get some, you know, certain level, some a lot more. We're all in different spots. But here's what I'm saying. If you get vacation, are you taking vacation? Because there's so many of us, I, I'd be the first to admit that I get a lot of vacation. I don't take the vacation that I have half the time. In fact, after, uh, after we, we went through this book, uh, the, uh, uh, Leading on Empty, uh, we went through it as a board, we went through it as a staff, and we made some changes, and we really began to encourage some, especially our, some of our senior pastors have been running so hard the last few years that you really need to take time away. And you, you may have recognized this. That, like last November, we, uh, we said, J.D., kind of, we like, take a month off. We want you a month off, refresh, and renew. Uh, Dave uh, Cox last year did the same thing. Last summer, it was the first time ever I was out for more than a couple, more than about a week at a time here. I did like three, in the summer, I did like three and a half weeks. You may have noticed that. And, and why? Because we're just reflecting on this principle, and we want to model it well to you. We want to model it well. That, that, that rest is important. Refreshment is important. And if we're going to run well over the long haul, we need to take care of ourselves because it's how God has designed us. And then the last question would be, are you doing the things that fill your tank? Because here's the thing. Here's the thing with tanks. The irony about tanks is that when the busier life gets, catches, the first thing that tends to go are the things that fill your tank. Are, are you with me? When life gets busy, what goes? The things that fill your tank, that's what goes. And all of a sudden now, you're running harder than ever, but, and so there's, your spout at the bottom is open wider than ever. You know, more things you don't like, to, and the things that fill your tank, you're not getting replenished, and it's a dangerous thing over a long period of time. Okay, so, 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 there, so there we go. Are you scheduling it? Now, as we bring this service to an end, we're gonna close it a little bit differently than normal. And I'd ask that no one leave right now. We've kind of gotten the habit sometimes of our service of sometimes coming people leaving early. I, I get that, that, that for some of you are doing first impressions. You have a, a ministry and we bless you for that. Uh, appreciate that. But, but we've also gotten the habit of sometimes you know, leaving early and I don't think that's really conducive to rest or worship or what's happening here. It can be a distraction. But during this time, I want no one to leave because we want to just practice what we've been talking about. And, and what I want to do is I'm going to lead us in prayer and then we're just going to have a few minutes of doing nothing. It's going to be silent. <laughs> yeah, good, right? It's going to be absolutely silent. Can I tell you, for some of you, this is going to be very awkward. <laughs> right? Okay, so this is iPhones stay in iPocket. All right? All right. Some of you I know cannot go more than two minutes without checking. But uh, uh, no, 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 no. I mean silent, nothing. Simon and Garfield, silence is golden. Right? It's, it's, it's a moment. So we're just going to rest, and it's going to feel a little bit awkward. But I tell you something, the more awkward it feels, probably the greater sign that you need more rest in your life. Let's pray to God. God, as we come and we study this beautiful topic of this rhythm of life, this rhythm between work and rest that you've designed into the very creation. God, we confess we've often violated this principle in our life. And as a result, we've not been focused on the things that are most important. We've not pursued you well. We've not 
loved others well. We've not served sacrificially. We've not shared because we've just been so busy and running so hard we've lost perspective. And so today, God, just in this moment, we pray that you would speak to us and you'd begin a process of rethinking how we do life, that we begin to put first things first and we would discover a rhythm as you lead us under the leadership of your spirit for our lives. What does that look like to, to move in this rhythm, this ebb and flow between work and rest? We pray this in Christ's name, amen. And, uh, it's gonna be on, on sharing Christ, uh, but not just so much individually, but as a church. What does it look like to be a church that, that really puts first things first, that focuses on the things that are most important um, so that we can together reach a world for Christ in, in an effective way? And so next week, uh, we're doing baptisms. Looking forward to that. It's going to be a great time of uh, just celebration, uh, kind of worship, learning as we put the, the bow on this series. We, we wrap it up. And so I uh, hope you can be there. And until then, uh, may the God who gives rest uh, be with you this week. May the God who rested on the seventh day uh, be, be with you. May the God who told Israel, I will lead you into the promised land and I will give you rest be with you this week. May the God who became one of us and said, come to us, all you who are weary and overburdened, and I will give you rest. May that God be with you. May the God who in Hebrews says that there is a rest that remains for the people of God, and so be diligent to enter that rest, that final rest that is coming. May that God be with you. May the God of rest be your God, and may he empower and equip you and lead you well to rest deeply this week. So get a nap this afternoon. Tomorrow's a holiday for many of you. Sleep in and begin to practice what we learned, okay? God bless. Love you guys. See you next weekend. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening. <laughs>